Hi, and welcome to DRIQ, where smart hunting begins. I'm Adam Lewis, 20 plus year educator, 30 plus year deer hunter, untastefully seasoned outdoor writer, and I'm here to help you achieve what we all hope for, to be truly greater deer hunters. This is the wrap up, where I'm going to attempt to clarify the hazy stuff and share what I've learned or thought was of exceptional note, like highlight and put in bold or all caps, from these past few series or episodes. Those would be the six barriers greats overcome and to be in a deer's head. And I'm gonna give three suggestions to help prod us on our journey to become greater deer hunters. As I start, I wanna challenge you to do a couple things. First, if you haven't, download our free journal to use with this podcast. That's really going to help. Second, as you use that, here are the top look fors or things to look for during this episode. Should we focus on habituating deer or being ultra stealthy? What are my two goals for this season that I reveal? And what is my best tip for aging whitetail bucks that really I think makes it pretty easy? Okay, and now let's get to the podcast and up your deer IQ. Remember, where we are challenged in our thinking or presented with something new, our brain has to figure out what to do with it. This is the space for new growth, if we can allow for this and remove some of those barriers that are keeping us from doing so. Speaking of barriers to being a greater deer hunter, here they are again, or at least the six that I listed that I think are important to eliminate from our first series, which are episodes two through four, if you want to listen to them. They are ego, physical shape, lack of plans, lack of systems, and education. And I think the biggest cognitive limiter here is ego and refusal to even entertain that we have things yet to learn. Since that's what this podcast is about, I hope that's not you. So let's focus on the episodes of Getting in a Deer's Head. When I talked to Doug Roberts, some raised questions that I thought were legit or could use further explanation. In fact, I was challenged by a few things Doug said, even though I knew them to be true, they seemed to fly in the face of things we are taught. Namely, being super sneaky and stealthy when hunting is what we're taught, which I would agree with most of the time. The idea of training deer on private land to habituate them to your presence and activities on the land seems odd to many people. Doug specifically mentioned using a four-wheeler or similar vehicle or even walking at specific times every day. This would put deer at ease and allow you to eventually hunt them without blowing out of your area since they're used to humans being around on a specific schedule. Some may argue that it seems like cheating or throwing woodsman skills out the door. I personally don't agree with that. The reality is that most every time we set foot in the woods, we are training deer. It's impossible not to. So a common sense strategy and solution is coming up with tactics that can actually be used to our advantage. This is one thing Doug suggested. Not saying you have to, but consider the idea of how you're actually training deer. The caveat is, and he said this, You have to do it very consistently, like every day. So this may or may not work for you, but I think it's an interesting idea to consider. Doug has thousands of times more experience with deer than most hunters. I did the math. You can check it out in episode seven. 
so I'm inclined to believe him. And there are other reasons to believe him too. Experiences of my own and others. So here's a few to think about regarding deer being habituated to humans. Example one, the greedy outfitters. Okay, I don't think outfitters are actually greedy, but my point is they are businessmen that have to do what works or their business dies. Not exactly the same as most of us hunters who can just keep hunting and we make money doing something else. The stakes are higher for them. So why do outfitters many times use vehicles to drop people in stands or pick them up? Because they know that this is less education of deer and much less intrusive than a person walking through a field to get to a stand, let's say. Are they leaning into the idea of habituating deer? Possibly. I do think at the minimum they are doing what works best and most beneficial because they have to. They're just being smart about hunting and treating it like a business. Maybe we can learn from that too. Example number two, the wily horse farmer. My taxidermist in Ohio told me this story of an old guy who always shoots big, big bucks year after year. So much so that his neighbors hate the guy and complain about it. They're hunters and they're jealous. How does he do it? He's a rancher. He has a horse farm and he takes his horses on walks through the woods and over his whole property every single day. The does all get used to this and pay him and the horse no attention. When it's around the rut, he just uses this and switches to hunting and the bucks show up and are easy pickings for this hunter. This may not be your style, but the question is, is yours actually working? Or what percentage of the time? It might be worth looking at the idea of habituating deer because it seems to work. Example three, the neighborhood buck. I once saw a 150 inch plus big buck in Ohio bedded behind the neighbor's barn while they were out there playing loud country music. I was literally jamming in the stand to some 90s classic country for over an hour while this guy was bedded there and he finally got up of his own accord and wandered just out of range of my bow. Deer routinely live and bed around humans because they feel safe and are naturally habituated to our behaviors around houses and properties where they don't feel threatened. So should a hunter go far from a house or barn because they have some sort of feeling that that's where the big guys are, out there, somewhere, when in fact this may not be the reality? So let's set aside feelings and look at facts when hunting deer in the real world. They do hang around humans quite a bit and can indeed be trained in a sense. Whether or not you choose to take advantage of that is up to you. But I will say that even using scents to make mock scrapes or food plots to habituate deer to a location we can hunt them is training them. So in my mind, these fall into the same category. We all pretty much do it or try to do it. So here's my conclusion on this topic of habituating or training deer. I think it works like this. On public land, focus on being ultra sneaky because you can't control so many things, including other hunters. On private, if you can, consider the idea of habituating deer to you. Okay, next controversy is a 3.5 year old buck a shooter. Well, in the second episode with Doug, there seems to be a discrepancy and I want to clear that up. It isn't, but to a casual listener, it may seem that way and it probably is how I pose the questions. Understand, we had to record that podcast twice 
due to audio and technical issues, and Doug, being a great guy, took the time to do so. But the second one didn't quite flow as well because we'd already done it once. Anyways, I asked about Mature Bucks and what he learned over 32 years of living among them, and he said, Patience. Have you ever had a stare down with a buck? I have, and it seems like the older they are, the longer and deeper they can stare into your soul. Mature bucks can do this very, very well and are very hard to outlast. He also said, therefore, if you shoot a three and a half year old buck when it pops out, you may be missing the bigger one as they always seem to lag behind and are more patient. Add to that, Doug's saying that a three and a half year old's antlers typically do not grow a huge amount afterward and sometimes can regress depending on a lot of factors, was kind of an eye opener for me. This isn't ever a 100% thing, but it did get me thinking about the reality of this and how it might affect my hunting decisions, if they're based on inches of antler. I also know from experience that a three and a half year old buck is dumber than a four and a half year old, and it seems significantly, or should I say less mature. I see this as a teacher in high school, sophomore to junior year, changes kids an awful lot, and it seems this is also true with the development of deer. So this observation led to my next question. My second question was basically looking at what advantage this knowledge could give to a hunter if we put these pieces together. Yeah, they will get a bigger body and more mature and probably slightly bigger rack from four to five years old, but not always. You see, there's a trade-off in the wild. The older they are, the more chance they will get beat up, maybe injured, maybe shot, and so on. So I pose this question with the idea, again, to make people think about their decisions in their hunting areas. I agree they can get bigger if you don't let them go, but this is an interesting fact I think that should be thought about for your goals in hunting in your situation. I've had many, many large mature deer show on cameras that disappear without a trace the next year. What about you? When I talked to Nate Acker, the ultimate question came up. If you could just ask yourself one question, what would this be? And it was why. I think it clarifies and teaches us more than anything we can do regarding why we do this or that as a hunter and also why the deer did this or that from a past hunt and also why they may do this or that in the future as we try to predict future movements and win the chess game of sorts. Here's an example from a hunt from my past and what I learned that I think is very beneficial and shows the power of this question. So this is a clip that didn't air of my discussion about this hunt with Nate. But write down what you observed and why you think you observed it. Like try to figure out the why deer did this or why deer didn't do this or that. Um, the more you can do that, the better off you'll be and you will really start to put the pieces together much quicker. Um, an example of that was a few years ago, talking about the why, I uh, hunted some public land near me and it was like the first couple of days of season and um, there's a few, quite a few other guys hunting back in the, the bigger woods um, that I'd run into and there was these open fields out in front of this this area. One was like a still standing bean field but it was kind of brown at this point. Uh, there was like some CRP next to that and some also some something I think the DNR planted like uh, some some sort of uh, green 
uh, food plot type uh, area that they planted. And mm-hmm. then across from that was some more bedding type stuff. But there was no areas for tree stands. And so these guys were avoiding it. Nobody else was hunting out there. So one night I kind of set up on the ground. I had this little ghost blind thing that I'd never used before, which is the one that's like basically a mirror. Yeah. And I set up across so I could see this field and also so I could maybe get an opportunity at something coming out of this thick, uh, thicker bedding area. And during that hunt, what I noticed was uh, I saw these bucks come out of the CRP about four or 500 yards away, and the wind was at their backs. And these bucks, these three bucks came out, and two of them were like two-year-olds, and one was probably a three- or four-year-old, a real nice buck. And they came out and worked this edge by that CRP and that uh, food plot stuff, and I just observed them right and but i was at that point i was questioning the why like why did these deer come out with the wind at their backs because the the typical wisdom would be like oh they always like to smell where they're going especially if they're going to step out in the open or be able to scent check something before they do mm-hmm. but the next night and i was mulling that over the next night i it was the same wind and so I was trying not to overthink and I'm like, well, you know, they, they might not do the same thing twice in a row, but same conditions, I'm going to get over there. So I walk across this field, I set the ghost blind without much cover really, but just enough in front of it, you know, same wind mm-hmm. within half an hour, these bucks step out the same exact way, the wind at their backs. Uh, I wound up getting shot at that nicer buck and I missed it. <laughs> Uh, due to, I, I, I misranged it. Right. But anyways, uh, what I figured out was the why was because I'm pretty sure they could see the field. So they would just pop their heads out for like 10 or 15 minutes and just look. Hmm. So they knew the field was clear. And as soon as they stepped out though, they knew they couldn't see behind them. So the only way they'd be able to know something came in behind them was scenting. Right. And so that's why the wind or their backs. And so that was a valuable lesson to me. And I could have just overlooked it and be like, I don't know. And then just moved on. But these type of things, these why questions are super important because now you can apply this in the future. Hi, this is Adam Lewis with Deer IQ. And this is your high IQ moment. Do you know the biggest barriers to public land hunting success? Well, a second one that pops out to everyone probably is other hunters. They're unpredictable. Throw monkey wrenches into our plans, add pressure, and just generally get in our way. This is why instead of hunting the deer, you need to try to hunt the other hunters. Now, don't take this the wrong way. We're not endorsing any harassment or violence. What this means is you need to focus more on discovering what other hunters are doing and how this is affecting deer movement and letting this lead you to where you will hunt as a result. Shift your focus from the deer to the hunters and you will start to find more success. Hunt the other hunters. To see all the barriers standing in your way and new solutions to beating them, get our free public land hunting guide It's in the notes below. And if you're getting something out of this podcast, wherever you are watching or listening, please like or rate this and consider sharing it with a friend. We need your help to grow the channel 
and is greatly appreciated. And now, let's get back to the podcast. So here are three suggestions from these series for us as we attempt to push the limits and become greater deer hunters. Suggestion one, practice aging bucks. I think this one will really help you become a more decisive hunter, more efficient hunter, and take better class of animals. Because whatever your decision about the three and a half year old buck thing, if you can't age them, this is irrelevant. So it's a good skill to have, and I think not as hard as people make it out to be. Here's what I have found to help. First, do a lot of glassing in the summer and trail cam intel gathering. You will find bachelor groups tend to form around age group. As you look at body structure, the age classes start to become apparent based on thickness of body and neck and somewhat on the antler size. I think body structure is the easiest way to age deer and most easily seen in the summer before they shed and start rubbing trees and chasing does. The late season, they're run down, so this gets tougher. So practice looking at an aging deer during the summer to help you get an eye for this. And a great resource to see this is actually artist Ryan Kirby's whitetail buck chart that shows body structure and anatomy by age. I'm not affiliated, but it's cool. You can check it out and start comparing this to your observations, and pretty soon you'll fairly easily tell ages of deer on the hoof, especially the one to three age range. And if you really want to get precise, track individual bucks by antler characteristics from a young age and actually see how this all plays out. It's a great way to see for yourself over years and multiple deer if a three and a half year old is really a shooter to you. Two, decide who you are. Not to get all philosophical, but you really need to decide if you're a trophy hunter, a meat hunter, or somewhere in the middle. This will determine your goals for hunting as well as your allocations of time and resources toward it. I'll assume for this podcast channel, you're fairly serious and want to learn. So that being the case, my biggest suggestion regarding this is viewing deer hunting as a craft and becoming an insatiable learner. The best way to do this is to join a community of like-minded people like our private Facebook group, Shameless plug there. It's not like those other brag board groups out there where people just want to be validated or pose as awesome hunters. People are actually looking to learn and there are some real experts there to interact with. It's pretty cool and it's linked below, so check it out. Also, I would set some goals for this hunting season and make them SMART goals. Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. My two goals for this season are to shoot a mature buck, three and a half years old or older, in Michigan on public land because I have not done that the past few years, and two is to know exactly why I'm hunting each location I am every single time out. What are your goals? Maybe share that in the Facebook group. Number three, go old school. That is a paper and pen journal for one season and see what happens. We've all gotten so high-tech, we've forgotten the value in the physical, mental connection of writing. Maybe start by reflecting on a couple hunts from last year and dissecting every single angle of them with our why question. What does this teach you and how can you apply that to this season? Then as season goes on, do this for every hunt. I'd be willing to bet a couple things will happen. First, you'll learn more and become a better hunter quicker, and who doesn't want that? 
And second, I bet you'll also really remember your hunts much better and they will mean more to you and you can share this cool document and stories to others down through the years. It's a great way to memorialize our time in the great outdoors with the animals and the people that make them so worth it. And that is worth it all by itself. All right, next episode, we will begin a new series in our quest to be a greater deer hunter as we begin to be a master of the land, looking at private and public land mastery. Is public land hunting being ruined? We'll look deep into this rabbit hole. And what about when you're the king, you own or lease land? Most people don't rule very well. So we'll see how to best do that. A lot of good stuff is in there with some great expert guests. You won't want to miss it. And I'll see you then.